Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I am here today with Dr. Warren Phillips of Transformative Workplace Solutions. Welcome to the podcast, Warren. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited to speak with you today about emotional intelligence, which is a topic that I've encountered a lot more uh, in the news as I'm scrolling the internet. You know, it might be an article I see on Twitter or a blog I'm reading, uh, especially as the pandemic has kind of ensued. There's been a lot of attention around workplaces and how we can support our employees and team members and emotional intelligence comes up frequently. So I wanted to bring you on the podcast as someone who has expertise in this topic to share about it. But before we get into the topic, is there anything you'd like our listeners to know about you? Um, Well, I'm a clinical psychologist here in uh, Iowa and uh, kind of wear a variety of hats. I'm an assistant teaching professor at Iowa State University. I run a clinical business called Central Iowa Psychological Services and also I'm a principal partner of Transformative Workplace Solutions. Um, so, yeah, stay pretty busy. So you're busy. Yeah, stay pretty busy. <laughs> so give us kind of the one-on-one on emotional intelligence, or it's commonly referred to as EQ. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people still uh, at this point don't really understand what emotional intelligence is or EQ. Um, it's not one, first thing to keep in mind, it's not one thing. Um, emotional intelligence really is an umbrella term that describes a variety of social emotional skills. Um, so things like self-awareness skills, um, and there's a variety of things that come under that, the ability to, and the skill at recognizing, identifying, recognizing, naming what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, understanding patterns, um, and, you know, in certain situations, what kinds of experiences might I have. So, you know, just a variety of self-awareness skills. But then there's also a variety of self-regulation skills. So the ability to, when I do identify and recognize an emotion, what am I going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be able to utilize that information? Because emotions are there to provide us information. Right. Um, and so, you know, if I can navigate that by recognizing what I'm feeling, being able to potentially put a name to it, get a sense of what it's trying to tell me, it's going to inform me and help me to make better decisions. Um, and so, you know, the, re- the emotion regulation component. It's not about controlling emotions. It's about understanding emotions and understanding their message and being able to use that information. Emotional intelligence also um, is all about recognizing emotions in others, um, having empathy Mm -hmm. with other people, and having a sense of our own purpose, our own direction, um, our why. And being able to understand, you know, if I have a good sense of what my why is, what my purpose is, then that's going to help guide my actions. And I can take a look at 
the choices I'm making, how consistent are those with my why, with my purpose? Sure. All of that is emotional intelligence. Sure. And is it a relatively new concept? I think is it Daniel Goleman who did I get his name right? Daniel Goleman pop he really popularized it okay. um, back in 1994 with his book called Emotional Intelligence. Um, it was really uh, Peter Salovey and John Mayer who back in the 80s are credited with coining the term and kind of beginning the research based on emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman kind of picked that up, really made it very accessible for uh, the general public and continued on with some of uh, that research as well. Yeah. And since then, there's been numerous people who have done a variety of studies on emotional intelligence. And so, you know, if, if I were to, you know, in a, a quick phrase, define what emotional intelligence is, I would say it's being smart with your feelings. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, just from your experience as a clinical psychologist, do you feel like people are more capable of expressing their emotions or do you think people feel like they have more permission expressing how they feel? Because part of emotional intelligence, at least what I heard you just say, is that it's being able to express your emotions, recognizing them, recognizing patterns. Do you feel like people are more comfortable now expressing how they feel? Well, I, one of the things I've seen, um, for example, with actually during the pandemic, one of the things I've seen is that businesses and organizations of all kinds um, are really paying attention to mental health, well-being, emotional well-being um, of their leadership, of their employees, um, and really, you know, many, many organizations putting in tremendous effort in terms of how can I really help my workplace mm -hmm. and help my organization be an emotionally well-balanced place to work. Um, and so I'm, I'm seeing more effort put into it. I'm seeing more acknowledgement of it over time. And I'm seeing people develop more awareness that, um, you know, emotions are not a problem or something to be ignored or shoved down, they're actually useful and important and giving us really important information that we all need to be paying attention to. Yeah. I like how you said being smart with your feelings. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that kind of how you captured it in a very short, like a bumper sticker, being yeah. smart with your feelings. I think the idea of paying attention is so important because it's part of mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is paying mm -hmm. attention and being aware of how you're feeling, but then whether it's an individual or an organization, then acting with intention, mm -hmm. right? And I would assume that that is a big part of EQ as well, not just noticing, but then what comes after that? So now I notice I'm feeling this way. I notice this pattern in my life where I've often felt this way. Now, what is my next step, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's part of our goal with emotional intelligence, right? Is to not, you know, it's to get off automatic pilot, mm -hmm. um, it's to get off just reacting and instead, uh, as you said, make some intentional choices. Um, you know, I, I notice that this is coming up for me. I, you know, I kind of recognize that here's a situation I'm about to walk into. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that in this situation, I have a tendency to feel certain things, to behave in certain ways. And so to then be able to stop and think, is that how I want to be? Uh -huh. um, how well has that worked for me yeah. in the past? 
Do I want a different outcome? Um, what would be consistent with, with my purpose, with who I want to be? Um, and so I can use all of that's emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so it's really kind of pausing and considering and planning and being intentional about yeah. the choices we make. So I've read a little bit about introverts, extroverts. Mm -hmm. I'm an introvert, and I read this book called Quiet by Susan Cain, I believe is the author. I read it mm -hmm. maybe six, seven years ago, and it, I really resonated with it. So I'm very introspective, as are many introverts. I mean, that's one of the indicators of being an introvert. And I'm just curious to know, this is just a random question that I thought of as you were talking about, you know, being more mindful and paying attention. Do you think introverts tend to be have higher EQ because they're a little more in tune with what's good? They think through things before they act on them? Or do you think it doesn't really matter if that doesn't have an influence? Um, you know, there, there is some research to suggest uh, that, you know, there is some correlation between personality traits and emotional intelligence. Um, however, what we really find when we look at emotional intelligence is that um, it, it is part of the beauty of emotional intelligence is, you know, despite personality characteristics and personality traits, emotional intelligence is a set of skills. And so it's a set of skills that can be learned and practiced. And so, um, you know, there certainly are folks who are more introverted who might be potentially more thoughtful. Um, however, just being more thoughtful about, you know, all the kind of possible outcomes that could occur doesn't necessarily in and of itself mean that you're going to choose the one that's really consistent with how you want to be. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, it really, it's a set of skills that can be impacted, I think, to some degree by different personality traits, but it's a set of skills that we can learn and practice regardless of where we fall, say, on that introversion, extroversion scale mm -hmm. or the um, openness to new experiences scale yeah. you know, things like that. Yeah. So IQ has a number associated with it. Mm -hmm. Does EQ have a number associated with it? And how is that number defined? Well, both uh, most IQ measures, um, so intelligence quotient, most IQ measures, um, and... Um, most EQ measures are on what's called a, a standardized scale. And so, you know, basically a, a mean or an average scale, average score of about 100, and uh, what's referred to as a standard deviation of about 15. So somewhere between about 85 to 115 or 90 to 110, somewhere in that range would be considered the average range. As you get above that, you start getting into the above average range. As you get below that, you start getting into the below average range. So scale-wise, they generally, when you look at um, instruments that measure IQ or EQ, they're using a similar scale. Um, the difference between the two, and there's pretty substantial difference between the two, IQ um, we know is a fairly stable um, set of characteristics, ways of processing information, ways of um, understanding the world through verbal reasoning, nonverbal reasoning, working memory skills, how fast we process information. All of those are things that get measured on IQ instruments. And those are pretty stable over time. Um, now with that said, 
we do have some research, and I've had this for several decades with IQ in children, for example, that would suggest that um, environmental conditions can impact where we fall on an IQ score. So if you were to take children who grew up in a academically, intellectually, and emotionally impoverished situation and give them pretty significant um, resources, and then you were to test their IQ, you know, let's say a year or two years down the road, you might see that it will have increased by 10 to 15 points. However, IQ does have a ceiling. Okay. You're not going to increase somebody's IQ by 50 points. Um, because IQ is a fairly stable construct. Um, EQ, however, emotional intelligence, um, can increase as we practice it. And there's really no specific ceiling on emotional intelligence for the vast majority of people. That can increase as we work on it over time. And also, if we're under times of really significant stress, somebody's emotional intelligence skills might show a temporary decrease as, you know, perhaps as they're feeling overwhelmed, but then as they're able to access some of those skills, work on them, build them, that can increase back up. So So, it's very fluid. Yes, it's very fluid. Um, It doesn't have kind of that ceiling effect or that stability that we would typically see with IQ. So, you know, I, I think unfortunately sometimes they get equated, but they really are different things that we're talking about. So when we met last fall, you had done a workshop for EFR team members, which I thought was very interesting. So thank you for coming and doing that. Absolutely. It was kind of a preemptive approach to getting more information about transformative workplace solutions and adding those different workshops to our training catalog, which is something I'll, I'll talk about more at the end. But I remember taking the SEI, was it the six seconds emotional intelligence assessment? Yes. The, the group that I partner with is called Six Seconds. Six Seconds. Um, okay. And they're, uh, they're one of the largest distributors of emotional intelligence solutions across the world. Um, and one of their main instruments is the social emotional intelligence. Okay. Um, inventory or the say. The say. And so is that that is that one tool or is that the tool that someone would use if they're curious about measuring their EQ? There are other um, there are other instruments. Um, I'm not I won't say I'm as familiar with some of the other instruments as I am with the say and with some of the other measures from six seconds. Um, but there are a few other instruments out there that are um, fairly well known mm-hmm. and um, I think different people use them for emotional intelligence. I know part of what I like about the SAY and the six seconds model is it's the most complete model I've ever seen. Okay. Um, where it really gets um, at both larger factors of self-awareness, um, you know, um, self-regulation and self-direction. That they use the terms know yourself, choose yourself, and give yourself. Um, But then within each of those, there are numerous um, emotional intelligence skills um, that get measured and that people can work on, and they have a variety of tools for helping people work on those. So um, that one is my preference, personally, simply because I feel like it's the most, um, one of the most uh, comprehensive models and measures out there. Is it possible for someone to have too high of an EQ score? 
where you'd say, you know, let's dial it back a little bit. I think <laughs> <laughs> well, there's too much self-awareness going on right now. <laughs> um, I don't know if I could say it's possible to have too high. I will say, though, that, um, you know, part I know part of what I look for when I'm working with people, both through the, the say, that instrument, and um, as I'm working with people around emotional intelligence, is I'm not just looking at the the relative position, like the relative score, but I'm looking at the balance between all the scores. Yeah. Um, you know, if somebody has, for example, um, very, very uh, high levels of self-awareness, but um, not as well-developed uh, self-recognition or uh, self-regulation skills, I mean, um, you know, the, the struggle somebody might have is they might know how they're feeling, but then might really be struggling with, okay, so I, I know what I'm feeling. I have a sense of what happens to me in different situations, but I'm not quite sure what to do with that information. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even though let's say, you know, one of them might be much higher than the other, what that imbalance suggests that, okay, perhaps where we really need to focus in here is on developing some of those self-regulation skills so that you have um, more tools handy, more self-confidence in what to do and how to approach different situations. Um, so again, it really depends on the person. Do you find when you're going through results with individuals who've taken the say that they're usually kind of like, they recognize these things about themselves as you're kind of scoring them. So I just remember when I took it several months ago, I scored really high on empathy. And I remember joking with you about how I'd really actually like to dial that one back a little bit because sometimes I feel like I'm a very empathetic person. And so sometimes it can get in the way of, you know, doing the things that I need to do because I'm too concerned about, you know, other people's feelings and emotions and you know, putting more energy into others than sometimes I need to put into myself. And so I'm just wondering, like, for me, that wasn't a surprise. So I'm, I'm guessing you go through a lot of these assessments with individuals sharing their results back. And are there a lot of aha moments for people or light bulb moments? Or do you think a lot of people go, oh, that makes sense? You know, that's... Well, I, I think what happens for a lot of people is, you know, they'll kind of, they'll, we'll go through some of the results and they'll kind of go, oh, okay, hmm. Well, yeah, that I get that. That makes sense. But then the aha moments typically are, for most people, are, are less sort of the understanding of the scale. But then when I might ask somebody, well, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, the last really stressful experience you had. Mm -hmm. What happened there? And how did you handle that? Um, and as somebody sort of talks through some of those experiences, that's where I think sometimes people have those aha moments where they go, oh, all right, I get it. I've been really struggling yeah. <laughs> you know, with this particular issue. I've been struggling in that particular area. This makes so much sense and kind of gives me a sense of maybe where I need to be putting some of my effort. And so a lot of times that's where I'll see those aha moments is um, in more, where, you know, where people start applying okay. what they're learning um, in that feedback session and in that scale, and they start applying it and realizing, like, oh, okay, huh, this gives, you know, this helps me understand some things that, you know, have been happening in my life, or this helps me understand some um, confusion that I was having in, 
you know, some of my work relationships or personal yeah. relationships. One thing you shared with me when we were going through my results, it was a journal prompt. I think I mentioned that I journal a lot and you said I have, you know, something to share. And it was, I think it was six questions. The first is what am I feeling? And then the second is, and what else am I feeling? Because for me, I recognize what I'm feeling, but I don't always ask myself, and what else am I feeling? Mm -hmm. I tend to just kind of overlook that because sometimes that's the really hard thing to look at is like that, what else am I feeling? And then I feel like, do you remember all six questions that you would have given me? I feel like another one is, what is my impulse to act right now? Well, you, usually, I, I know oftentimes one of the things that I, when I'm, working with people and spending some time with people, a lot of times I'll ask them to, as a way to sort of think through yeah. um, situations when they come up. I might ask them to um, ask themselves kind of a series of questions like those. Yeah. You know, so things like, you know, what am I feeling and um, what else am I feeling? Um, is this something that I've felt before? Is this yes. something that I've experienced before? Yes. Um, that's, a, that's an important one because that gets at patterns yeah. a little bit. Um, and if it is something that I've experienced before, how do, what do I typically do and what outcomes, you know, where, where does that take me? Mm -hmm. Is that the direction I really want to go? Mm -hmm. Um, and if there's something, is there something different, a different direction I'd like to go? And if so, um, what would that be and, and what outcomes might I expect from that? Yeah. So that's kind of a series of questions that can be helpful for people to sort of walk through. Yeah. Um, particularly when they encounter um, a stressor or a struggle. Um, and I, I really do like the question of, you know, what am I feeling and what else am I feeling? Because a lot of times it's that second and third uh -huh. feeling yeah. that can be really eye-opening yeah. for folks. Well, thank you for sharing that with me because I've done it several times. And I, I also have anxiety. And so for me, sometimes it does help with my anxiety to just kind of look at it um, from a different perspective. And then sometimes it can help stop that rumination of, you know, I'm creating like a situation that would probably never be likely to happen. But when I stop to ask myself those questions and I take a moment to write them down, it helps me see, oh, okay, this is just a moment. I'm having some anxiety right now. I have experienced this before and things will get better, mm -hmm. you know, or not if I ignore my, my feelings and what else I'm feeling. So I thought that was a really good exercise. Um, and you would you say that's an example of kind of fine-tuning those EQ skills? Absolutely. Yeah, part, part of what I like about that one, and there's ways to kind of tweak that, but part of what I like about that exercise is it really sort of walks through several of the EQ skills mm -hmm. um, and can just be a very fluid way for somebody to really start noticing and paying attention to what am I feeling and um, patterns of, you know, have I been here before and what do I typically do and what are some of the consequences that that typically brings and is that where I, you know, those are the consequences I want to, yeah. you know, and maybe those are consequences and outcomes I want to continue having, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. And if so, what might I do different? And so it's just kind of a nice way to start walking through some of the different EQ skills. Yeah. So is there a dark side to EQ? I was, I was kind of doing a little Googling before wondering, you know, could someone sharpen that skill set to the point where they can use it to manipulate others? You know, is, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. could someone I do. really get so good at emotional intelligence that they use it 
um, as a way to manipulate or gaslight or? Well, you know, it's kind of, my answer to that would be, um, it's kind of like any skill set that we learn, right? I mean, we could use the analogy of learning to drive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you learn to drive and you have harmful intent in mind, that can be problematic. Yeah. Same thing. If I learn computer programming skills, I could use it to hack into bank accounts. Sure, sure. Um, you know, and yes, yeah, so, you know, with, as with anything, if I, you know, I'm learning emotional intelligence skills, um, I suppose I could use them um, to try to manipulate other people. However, to be perfectly honest, that very small subset of people that are likely to use them that way probably are already doing that. Yeah. Um, or would do that yeah. anyhow. Yeah. Um, the vast majority of folks that are learning emotional intelligence skills, um, you know, they're using them to better understand their own experiences, better understand the experiences of others, improve their relationships. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's really where that's where their use comes in most of the time. Yeah. Let's shift our focus to the workplace since, mm -hmm. you know, EFR, of course, is providing EAP benefits in workplaces and we do training and mediation and leadership coaching. And um, and you're also in workplaces helping, you know, teams grow and leaders develop. And so from your experience, are there certain types of fields or industries where EQ is especially important and others where it can kind of get in the way of making good decisions? Yeah, I don't know that I would say that there's anywhere that where it's going to get in the way okay. of making good decisions. Um, I think it depends a little bit on how you define it. You know, like what it is you're looking looking at. Um, if you're solely looking at a person's specific job task, um, separate from any social interaction that they might have, um, then yeah, I mean, there certainly are jobs where I think it's probably going to be more predictive than others. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, sales careers, um, counseling, leadership, all of those things, emotional intelligence is pretty critical for the, um, the job tasks themselves. If I'm, um, really not working with other people, um, you know, I'm, Maybe I'm just coding, um, or I'm you know doing something that's you know a pretty solitary task that you know is primarily analytical in nature. Those emotional intelligence skills may or may not be strongly predictive of my performance in that given task. Okay. With that said, um, unless I'm doing that task on a desert island. Um, and I'm never interacting with anybody else. <laughs> In reality, even if my specific job task um, doesn't involve a lot of social-emotional contact, I'm still having contact with coworkers. I'm probably having teams of people I need to work with. I'm having people that work for me or, you know, where I'm in a little bit of a leadership role, or I'm having to interact with my manager, my supervisor. So there's other people I'm needing to interact with. There may be presentations I'm needing to give. And so in all of those aspects, which are still part of the job, emotional intelligence is going to be 
very, very important and very predictive of my performance. Um, even if the exact specific thing that I do may be more or less impacted by it, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So EFR has partnered with Transformative Workplace Solutions to deliver workshops and uh, even some one-on-one or team coaching sessions. Do you want to share an example or just tell us a little bit more about what you can do in the workplace for teams, um, large or small teams? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Transformative Workplace Solutions is really devoted to helping um, workplaces uh, increase engagement and emotional well-being. That's, that is really our primary calling. And we do that through the use of emotional intelligence skills. And so that can play itself out in a variety of ways. Um, one of the things that I've been doing quite a bit of in the last year is um, a lot of workshops and trainings on self-care and emotional well-being in the workplace um, and just really trying to help people develop um, self-care skills that will help them get through some of the really, really difficult, stressful yeah. times that everybody's been experiencing. Um, so that's part of it. Um, the other thing that I've been trying to do as part of some of those workshops and trainings is also um, helping people figure out ways, whether it's one-on-one or in small teams or as an entire organization, to develop more intentional empathy in the workplace mm-hmm. and really be you know, reaching out to other people to check in, see how they're doing, not to do counseling or therapy, right. but um, to just reach out and be caring and compassionate yeah. um, to each other. As we reach out and show empathy to one another um, and use some self-compassion and some self-care, there's almost no limit to the joy that we can experience, the belongingness that we can experience, the engagement that you're going to see. Um, so those are just a few of the applications. Um, I also, as part of that, do a fair amount um, with conflict resolution and helping either individual people or small groups or teams who might be having some conflict, some difficulties, um, really come together. Mm-hmm. Um, not just resolve the conflict, because that's really just a small part of it, but really learn how to have productive uh, conflict and productive disagreements. Yeah, Disagreement and conflict doesn't have to be a problem. Right. In fact, really, for change to occur and for growth to occur in an organization, you need to have some disagreement. Yeah. Um, And if it can be done in a compassionate, caring, respectful way where people are listening to each other and hearing each other, um, what you find is that um, some of our most successful organizations have that that bond, um, that empathic bond, but they're able to disagree um, and hear each other. And in doing that, perhaps hear an idea that might not have otherwise been heard, that needed to be heard or needed to be shared. Oh, that's great. And I think even the disagreement and conflict, that's healthy in your personal relationships outside of work. Absolutely. And, you know, I can think back to relationships I've had with people that have had very little conflict or disagreement, and they were some of the most unhealthy relationships I've ever had because I wasn't communicating. Maybe they weren't communicating. I can't speak for them, but... 
yeah, I, I think that's, that's all good. I mean, what I heard you saying time and again was, you know, a lot of it is communication and when we can be more mm -hmm. intentional about our communication, we can be more um, attentive to our own needs and the needs of others and hopefully communicate those. Mm -hmm. Even if it, if there is a disagreement or conflict, you bet. In there intentional, can be a positive outcome. Intentional and direct. Those are two of the big keys to communication. Um, and they're probably the two hardest things to do in communication yeah. <laughs> is to be intentional and direct. Um, because it can be very, it can feel very daunting. Uh -huh. um, if I disagree with something that you're doing or a decision you've made, it can be very, it, you know, it's very easy for me to tell this person or that person. But that's not particularly helpful. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, that can be quite hurtful and harmful. Yeah. Um, it's going to be much more helpful if I can find a compassionate way to share that with you and to have that discussion with you. Yeah. That's where we're going to make progress. Yeah. Um, and that takes some assertiveness and that takes some courage. Um, and that's one of those places where emotional intelligence can be really helpful. I will link in our show notes uh, the EFR training catalog where all of the courses that you are uh, facilitating through Transformative Workplace Solutions live, and so people can explore those. Um, before I let you go, are there any books? I know we talked about the Emotional Intelligence book by Daniel Goleman, but are there any other books, podcasts, blogs, any other uh, resources that you would refer people along to if they want to know more about this topic? Well, yeah, I, I certainly, uh, Daniel Goleman's book is just a great, and actually he has several books now. Um, he's a great author and a, a wonderful person to take a look at. Um, I would also refer people to the Six Seconds okay. um, website. They have just a ton of resources, lots and lots of resources, uh, lots of program, lot of, lots of free resources for the public. Um, uh, and, and I mean, it's really a wealth of information, so I would strongly encourage people to go there. Um, I would also encourage people to come to my website, yeah. um, which is www.transformativeworkplacesolutions.com. And feel free to uh, watch out for Take the Irk Out of Work podcast, which is oh, my podcast. You have a through, podcast? Through Transformative Workplace Solutions. I love it. Absolutely. Take the Irk Out of Work. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to listen to it. That's great. How often do you have new episodes? Uh, about every couple months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to link all of these things in our show notes so people can stay connected Wonderful. to you and to this topic of emotional intelligence. Thank you so much for your time and expertise. It was great speaking with you. Um, if you're listening and you have EFR's benefits and you want to use your benefits, you can call 800-327-4692. And if you're listening and you want to perhaps invite Warren into the workplace, you would want to connect with whoever your account manager is at EFR and they can help coordinate those uh, trainings and workshops. So thank you again, Warren. Make it a great day. Thanks for listening to Emotion Well. Please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunleavy and produced by Emily Wonkong.